Welcome back, everyone, to the Ranking Presence Podcast. We've got a very, very special episode today. Once again, I'm Bradley Cooper. And I am Curtis Cooper. It is finally time for the Teddy himself. Oh, yeah, Theodore Roosevelt. This is going to be part one. Just be talking about who he was today and some of his career. And I just got to say before we start... Number one, what a titan this man is. But number two, how many more titans we've got ahead of us? Oh, we've got we've got banger after banger. Yeah. It's like if nothing else, like people like the lesser known modern ones, like Taft and like Harding, are going to yep. be in fa- in fascinating times at least. Yes, exactly. And our episodes are just going to keep getting longer. I have a feeling they're going to be like two hours long. But by the time this is all said and done, but hey, it's going to be nothing but the highest quality content for the good listeners. Oh yeah. So, Teddy Roosevelt. Now, we know some about him, him. like we know he was a big uh, big outdoorsman, yep, you know, known yep. for the teddy bear. But, Chris, tell us a little bit, who was he as a person? All right, let's, uh, let, let's break it down um, to the special expanded edition of his early life. Okay. All right, so he was born in 1858 in Manhattan, New York, okay. to Martha Stewart Bullock and businessman Theodore Sr., now, Teddy was a very sick, asthmatic child. Mm-hmm. He would frequently have nighttime episodes of asthma, which was described as the experience of being smothered to death over and over again in your mm. sleep. Like, that is horrifying. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty positive they didn't have any sort of medicine for it back then. Mm-hmm. So, I can't... Yeah, there was no cure for... No cure or treatment, even, for this asthma. Jeez. That's frightening. Mm-hmm. Now, despite his health issues, Teddy was a mischievous, curious child. He grew to love zoology and obtained the head of a seal from a local market. <laughs> and together with his cousins, they formed the imaginary Roosevelt Museum of Natural History. <laughs> now that is impressive. That's awesome. And Teddy really looked up to his father. Theodore Sr., was a wealthy businessman, and he helped to fund the Metropolitan Museum of Art and helped to mobilize support for the Union in the Civil War. He said this about his father. My father, Theodore Roosevelt, was the best man I ever knew. He combined strength and courage with gentleness, tenderness, and great unselfishness. He would not tolerate in us child... Uh, he would not tolerate in us children selfishness or cruelty, idleness, cowardness, or untruthfulness. Mm, I see where he gets a lot of his traits. Oh, yeah. I can just hear that speak softly. Mm-hmm. Like hearing that big stick. Yep. I, could, I could hear that. Teddy took many trips overseas with his family, and the most notable was a hike through the Alps in 1869. He found on this trip that he was able to keep pace with his father, and it was at this point in his life that he realized intense physical exercise helped him to regulate slash minimize his asthma. So he dedicated the rest of his life to strenuous exercise and exertion. Strenuous exercise. Like he, he, was, he was a big fan of staying as active as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, were you going to say something? Oh, uh, yeah. I was just going to say, I wonder, I wonder if like modern doctors have looked back on his case of asthma and have been able to like, determine anything from it. Because mm-hmm. I would like, I would assume exercise would help mod people with asthma right now, but I really wonder about the intensity. Of yeah, that. yeah, that's true. Because some people, because some people, it sounds like exercise would make it worse. Yeah, that, that's what breathe. I would think. Yeah, that's that's very very interesting. Mm-hmm. He mu- he must have either had a mild case or a special case of asthma. Yeah. Now, one interesting fact is a six-year-old Teddy witnessed the funeral procession of Abraham Lincoln. And was photographed in a Manhattan window during it. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. I remember actually. So, uh, 
this is this is a little so my dad told me that i think his great uncle actually heard abraham lincoln give a speech whoa that's yeah. awesome so we're getting we're starting to get to the period of american history where you know our father's fathers would have remembered mm-hmm. it, which is kind of interesting or would have known someone who yeah had at least heard this person yeah so teddy was homeschooled for the majority of his childhood he excelled at geography but struggled with math okay he would go into harvard and he studied biology vigorously. Mm. His father advised when he went off to college, take care of your morals first, <laughs> your health second, and finally your studies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that he puts the, the health above studies and the morals. Mm-hmm. He, had a, he had a good head on his shoulders. Yes, he did. He would then go on to law school, but frequently found... Uh, American law to be irrational. <laughs> so he spent most of his time in law school writing a book about the War of 1812. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something I would do, to be I, honest. I was about to say, that sounds like that sounds like a Brad-style story. Yeah. Well, like, I don't know a huge amount about law, but from the little bit I do know about American law, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of stuff to know, and a lot of stuff that seems contradictory. Yeah. So, like, I, so I can see where, like, a straightforward person like Teddy would mm-hmm. kind of brat, brat. Not like that very much. He didn't want to wade through all the BS. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's let's talk a little bit about his family life. So during his early political career, Teddy experienced the greatest tragedy of his life. Mm-hmm. His mother and wife, his wife's name, his first wife's name was Elise Hathaway Lee, died in 1884 in the same house on the same day, mm-hmm. Valentine's yep. Day. Yep. Which is horrendous, and he was devastated. And he spent two years in the West tending to cows as a rancher and busting outlaws and cattle rustlers as a frontier sheriff. <laughs> that just sounds... This is sounding more and more like an anime. I know, right? Like, he's literally an anime character. He's yeah. got the tragic backstory. Yeah. Like, he goes and, like, is, is a desperado in the West. And mm-hmm. In 1886, he returned to New York and married his childhood sweetheart, Edith Caro. They raised six children, including Teddy's one daughter from his first wife. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about his personality and what he looked like. Okay. So he was five foot eight. He weighed two hundred pounds and had a massive barreled chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was he was a moose. Mm-hmm. Put it lightly. He was known for his massive toothsome grin, according <laughs> to the presidential ham. <laughs> and uh, as president, he suffered a hard blow to his left eye during a boxing match. He developed an attack... Wait, as president? Yeah, as president. So he got into a boxing match as president? Yep. That's incredible. (laughs) He developed a detached retina and lost virtually all vision in that eye. Mm. Imagine... I think presidents should still box. Oh, they totally should. Imagine, like, Biden being like, uh... uh." (laughs) (laughs) They should have made him and Trump box for the presidency. (laughs) I mean, Trump was featured on the Worldwide Wrestling Network. That's true. That's true. That's the thing that happened. Yep. So, okay, in terms of his personality, I literally straight plagiarized everything the presidential ham said, so I'm citing it now because I literally couldn't have worded any of this better, because, like, they were just on another level when they were writing his description. They do some great, they do a great job. So, it was often said that Roosevelt craved the limelight, that he set, that he set out to be, as one observer put it, quote-unquote, the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral. <laughs> That that's that's unreal. That is a perfect, just perfect description. Can, can of you Teddy. imagine you're at a funeral and Teddy just just making it about himself? <laughs> <laughs> like, 
So that, that, that reminds me of like Kanye West or something. I'm going to oh, let yeah. you finish. <laughs> but uh, I'm the greatest of all time. Yeah. So. And you best believe he would have been excited at the idea that he's on Mount Rushmore. Oh, he would have loved that. <laughs> he was the youngest man to become president. He was also the most visibly energetic, zestful chief executive up to that time. Zest. <laughs> Unlike many of his predecessors, he delighted in being president and was sorry to see his term end. Mm. He was 42 when he became president, which is incredibly young. Like, oh, seven yeah. years past when you're allowed to be president at 35. Yeah, so, yeah. pretty wild. He was fearless, decisive, ambitious, proud, and irresistibly charming to men and women alike. <laughs> <laughs> He loved children and often took the time to romp with them or gather or gather around them for a story. Mm. A gifted raconteur. He ca- he captivated listeners with tales of his adventures out west. He detested dirty jokes, actually. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. And typically walked away in the middle of a story as soon as he detected its off-color nature. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he just seem like when people picture what an American is yep, in its yep. purest form? Like, well, it's Teddy Roosevelt. It's funny that both him and Jackson were like these these like super energetic, like wild dudes, but at the same time they detested like dirty jokes slash like jokes about women. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Whether delivering speeches before large crowds or engaged in a private conversation, Roosevelt spoke forcefully in crisp, clipped tones and gesticulated constantly, his <laughs> fist pounding the air to emphasize a point, his head jerking to and fro with each word. <laughs> but he was also a good listener, capable of remaining stock still for extended periods, totally engrossed in the words of others. He had a prodigious, apparently photographic memory. He often stunned visitors by reciting whole passages of a book he had read decades before. That is impressive. He explained that with con- he explained that with concentration, the page seemed to appear in his mind's eye. <laughs> mind's eye. <laughs> and he simply read from it. This this guy is just an anime character. Yeah, like he, or a sci-fi he can't, character. He can't possibly be real, right? No. All right, let's talk about his religious beliefs. Okay, I don't know much about this. So, Teddy was a regular attendee of the Reformed Church in America, which we've talked about before. Okay. He had an interesting perspective about putting in God we trust on money. Here's a direct quote from him about that. He said, It seems to me em- it seems to me eminently unwise to cheapen such a motto by use on coins, okay. just as it would be to cheapen it by use on postage stamps or in advertisements. Okay, so he thought of it like it's too holy yeah. of a term to just throw it on some random stuff. Which is an interesting interesting take. Mm-hmm. Biographer Edmund Morris stated this about his religion. When, cons- when consoling bereaved people, he would awkwardly invoke, quote-unquote, unseen and unknown powers. Aside from a few cliches of Protestant rhetoric, the gospel he preached had always been political and pragmatic. He was inspired less by the passion of the Christ than by the golden rule. Mm. That That appeal to reason amounting, in his mind, to a worldly rather than heavenly law. Okay. But at the same time, here's a story from around the First World War. When gas rationing was introduced... This is directly from Wikipedia. Okay. When gas rationing was introduced during the First World War, he walked the three miles from his home at Sagamore Hill to the local church and back, even after a serious operation had made it difficult for him to travel by foot. 
It was said that Roosevelt, quote-unquote, allowed no engagement to keep him from going to church, and he remained a fervent advocate of the Bible throughout his adult life. Okay. So on one hand, he had this very, like, pragmatic political view of religion, but on the other hand, he was definitely devoted to it. Yeah. And I think that would make sense because William McKinley was such a devoted religious man. It would Mm -hmm. make sense he would sort of draw in someone who was religious as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Now everybody, uh, grab a nice drink. Let's uh, let's break open his racial ideology. Oh, oh, no. oh no! Like I'm, I'm I, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm already bracing myself. All right. So, Teddy believed that equality for African Americans would happen gradually, from one generation to the next. Okay. And on this specific point, an African American preacher, William McGill, wrote, "quote unquote," the administration of President Roosevelt is to the Negro what the heart is to the body. It has pumped lifeblood into every artery of the Negro in this country. Okay. And Teddy Roosevelt said this of difficult race relations at the time. Quote, I have not been able to think out any solution of the terrible problem offered by the presence of the Negro on this continent, but of one thing I am sure, and that is that inasmuch as he is here and can neither be killed nor driven away... The only wise and honorable and Christian thing to do is to treat each black man and each white man strictly on his merits as a man, giving him no more and no less than he shows himself worthy to have. You know, like, that started really weird. Yeah. Like, where he's talking about, well, I guess we can't kill him or yeah, drive like, him out. But like, then he's like, but it's like, oh, but equality. Like, oh, okay, okay. He also possibly risked bodily harm by speaking to a frisky white crowd in Montana. He said this. Frisky. <laughs> I fought beside colored troops at Santiago in Cuba, and I hold that if a man is good enough to be put up and shot at, then he is good enough for me to do what I can to get him a square deal. Despite his desire to treat African American people well, he was still infected by racism. No, of course. He was known to use racial epithets in private and once wrote, quote-unquote, as a race and in, and in the mass, they are altogether inferior to whites. Okay. Disappointing. Common idea at the time, yeah. but disappointing all of us. Roosevelt believed that Jim Crow was a better solution than turmoil. Yikes. Oh boy. And Roosevelt once stated that, quote unquote, the white man who can be of most use to the colored man is the colored man's neighbor. It is the southern people themselves who must and can solve the difficulties that exist in the south. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, simultaneously, Teddy angered Southern whites by being friendly to African Americans, and, well, simultaneously along with these other beliefs that he had, Teddy angered Southern whites by being friendly to African Americans and dining with Booker T. Washington, having one Democratic senator, Benjamin Tillman of South Carolina, angrily rant, now I'm going to put a disclaimer next to this, like there's some very, like, aggressive, hate-filled language in this. Yeah. Well, we quote, we quote from people all the time, you gotta let yeah. the words speak yeah. to themselves. Quote-unquote. The action of President Roosevelt in entertaining that, I put racial epithet there, yeah, will, word. will necessitate our killing a thousand, bad word, in the South before they learn their place again. Ugh. So, there is a lot to unpack here. Yeah, so, on to put it very simply, centrist. Yeah. By, by those standards. Yeah, by... By, by the, 19th, yeah. 20th century standards. Early 20th century standards, centrist. Which is... It's it's disappointing. Yeah, like I'd say, Benjamin Harrison was definitely a better better person on this. Yeah, Teddy absolutely. Was. And like, obviously, we will always call out any president on any problematic beliefs they had, and these are problematic. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
but at the same time, there were positive movements that he made, like meeting with Booker T and like mm-hmm. and like openly defending um, black rights. But at the same time, like your personal beliefs are your personal beliefs, and like that's who you are. Yeah, yeah. Like it seems like better than Grover Cleveland, not as good as Benjamin Harrison. Yeah, that seems yeah. to be where we're at. Probably like around the same as oddly enough Abraham Lincoln. Yes, that is very interesting because we forget Abraham Lincoln had the same beliefs. He yeah. did not think black people were equal yeah. to whites. And, White supremacy. Yeah, but and pretty much there were very few people that would have thought modern equality. Now they did exist. Yeah, John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams was a good one, as well as you know John Brown and others. Yeah. So, but that was so. Let's since we're talking about. Rugged Teddy. Let's move into the state of the nation. Give it to me. So, we might as well discuss something that I believe will has a big impact on Teddy Roosevelt, and that's Buffalo Will's Wild West show. That's a fun one. So, this show, which began in 1883 and would actually run for 30 years. Wow. So, for a long time. It was an impressive show. General Sherman would call it wonderfully realistic and historically reminiscent. Mark Twain said it was real down to the smallest details. <laughs> and Custer's widow loved its depiction of her husband's last stand. Oh, I'm sure she did. Oh, yeah. Now, Buffalo himself was actually named William Frederick Cody. He was a Union soldier during the Civil War and a bison hunter. He was born in Iowa Territory, and when he started its show, it became so successful, he even got to perform it in front of Queen Victoria. Now, this show, it sounds a lot like modern, like, entertainment, because it used stuff like celebrity endorsements, op-ed articles, billboards, product licensing, like, toys, and all sorts of stuff. Hmm. So, the shows were about three to four hours long, featured sharpshooting and racing. It also featured reenactment of battles by Native Americans with real Native American actors, such as Sitting Bull. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Now, the show did have some inaccuracies. For one, a lot of the cowgirls featured in it weren't real Westerners. So I hate to burst people's bubble, but Annie Oakley was from Ohio. She was never from the West. <laughs> Midwest to her core. Yeah. And fun fact, so what, once the real Western girl, Lillian Smith, was taken out of the show because Annie Oakley said she was most uncouth. <laughs> <laughs> now, at the same time, the show also showed natives as always being the aggressors and violent warriors, such as the Battle of Little Bighorn, which was actually started when gold was discovered on native land and troops were sent to chase them off. They also loved to showcase scalping as being particularly barbaric, yeah. when in actuality it was the Spanish who introduced that practice to the New World. I did not know that, actually. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Because that, that is like one of, like, if you asked like any like person who grew up in, like specifically the South or the Midwest, like, all right, top three things you know about Native Americans, scalping would be, like, top three. Yeah, yeah. It's actually a fairly ancient practice. The Greeks are the first that we mentioned do it, which... And of course, the show ignored a lot of the darker side of the West, like rabid wolves, alcoholism, bad bad weather, and just straight-up boardroom. Ignore those. Yeah. And it tended to be pretty racist, showing the civilized whites against the barbarians. Now, for Buffaloville's credit, he actually did have good relations with the Native American actors. Okay. That's something. Moving on, let's talk about Theodore Roosevelt's political career. So, first, talk a little bit about his education. I was going to talk a little bit more about that. Do it. In 1876, he enrolled in Harvard, where he studied subjects ranging from German, natural history, zoology, forensics, and composition. He was a man of varied interests. Yep. He also took part in boxing and wrestling. Now, Curse also mentioned he went to Columbia Law School, but 
Unlike every other president, he actually dropped out of law school specifically to pursue a life in, of politics. That is amazing. So you're like, I'm just going to skip the law school part. Because, <laughs> you know, so many of our presidents, like, they went to law school. Yep, they were a lawyer for a year yeah. or two. But, but you know, when we think about it, that makes sense. Because what is being president if not you're helping make laws or yeah. veto laws? So Like, legislation is in and of itself law. So. Yeah, it'd be like if you had a doctor who had never been to medical school. Like, just doesn't make sense. Or like a principal who had never been a teacher or something like that we certainly have never had one of those as president oh never (laughs) (laughs) so he would get elected to the new york assembly and serve there and from 1882 to 1884 until his wife and mother died so he fled to the dakota badlands where as curtis mentioned he would hunt outlaws but in 1886 he went back east although he would return to the dakota badlands regularly to hunt wow and the same year he married his childhood sweetheart edith edith kermit carreau I just want to name their, give their kids names: Theodore, Kermit, Ethel, Ethel, Archibald, and Quentin. Oh, that's awesome! Like those are some names. <laughs> Archibald Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Now, upon returning to New York, Roosevelt began writing many books, including *The Winning of the West*, and you know more books about the War of 1812, and some books about the life of Thomas Hart Benton and the life of Governor Morris, whoever they were. Huh. He would also begin writing again, once unsuccessfully, as mayor of New York City. Now, he would also campaign for Benjamin Harrison. And in return, the Hoosier appointed him to the U.S. Civil Service Commission as commissioner. And he did such a good job, Grover Cleveland would reappoint him to this position. So let's talk a little bit about this role. In this role as commissioner, he tried to enforce the civil service laws, Hmm. but had trouble dealing with Republican Party loyalists who favored patronage and wanted him to ignore the laws when it came to his buddies. Yeah, like, I I kind of had a cursory glance of, like, some of this stuff, and, like, it seemed like he was very anti-Republican machine, oddly enough. Yeah, yeah, and that that plays back into his early life, how he was instilled with these very strong morals. And this idea of, like... A little bit of that, that bootstrap philosophy where you put build yourself up by your own bootstraps, but also the, the, the positive side of that, which is everyone's weighed by their own merit. Yeah. So in 1895, he became the president of the New York City Police Board, and he once again clashed with party bosses by both cleaning up corruption and enforcing laws that ban the sale of liquor on Sunday. All right, I have a hot take. What's your hot take? Teddy Roosevelt is like a 1900s version of... Of Batman, if both of his parents lived. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. <laughs> like, like you've got this child of privilege who like has these has this sense of justice, and he had a fairly stable like upbringing, and so he became like a really influential person. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like if com- he's commissioner, he looks like Commissioner Gordon, but he could have been Batman. <laughs> exactly. Like, and if if. In an alternate reality, his parents both passed away. He would become Moose Man. Yeah, <laughs> Moose Man. <laughs> yeah, or, or he might have gone down a darker path and become Andrew Jack, Andrew the Joker Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta write this big uh, presidential fan fiction. Now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we did discuss on Twitter that we are eventually going to have a Teddy Roosevelt versus Andrew Jackson fight night. 100%. Yeah. What, what would be fun is maybe if we picked, like, eight presidents and had a bracket. Oh, that'd be incredible. <laughs> Well, I mean, James Buchanan would get beaten in the first round. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, he'd yeah. just lay down. Uh. I, I would say we'd maybe pick, like, eight of the most either interesting or most physically imposing presidents. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Abraham Lincoln would have to be on that list. Oh, yeah. And George Washington. So, in 1897, William McKinley put old Teddy Roosevelt in charge as the assistant secretary of the Navy. 
Teddy Roosevelt himself was always a big fan of the Navy. Mm-hmm. He was he was a fan of many things. He was he, he was a Renaissance man of many interests. He put the Navy on high alert after the explosion of the Maine, and he instructed Commodore George Dewey to make ready for war in Cuba and the Philippines. Now, when the war broke out, Roosevelt immediately resigned his post and volunteered to serve with the 1st U.S. Volunteer Cavalry. The U.S. Army was in pretty poor shape at the beginning of the war, so McKinley called for 125,000 volunteers, and this cavalry unit was one of them. Their first commander was Colonel Leonard Wood. At first, the, reg- the regiment was nicknamed Wood's Weary Walkers, <laughs> a reference to the fact they had to fight as infantry since their horses weren't sent with them. Yeah. But when Wood got put in charge of the 2nd Cavalry Brigade, Roosevelt took over, and they got a new nickname, Roosevelt's Rough Riders. And that term was borrowed from Buffalo Bill's show, which was known as Buffalo Bill's Wild West and the Congress of Rough Riders of the World. That's awesome. So it'd be like if you got a group together and named them like the Jedi or something. Yeah, or the Avengers. Yeah, the Avengers. <laughs> Originally, the group was supposed to be made up exclusively of frontiersmen, but it began a weird mix of Ivy League athletes, glee club singers, what? Texas Rangers, and Native Americans. This sounds amazing. Yeah, there needs to be a movie yep. about this. There needs to be a Rough Riders movie. Yep. Now, they became famous for their part the Battle of San Juan Hill. At this battle, the Rough Riders were supposed to take the heights along with the rest of the army. They initially took cover along the river to avoid artillery fire, but ended up getting pinged down. Roosevelt, ever, you know, the gregarious type, was angry at the lack of clear orders, so he sent messengers to the general, General Shafter, to try to get him to issue orders. Eventually, the general gave the order to assault San Juan Hill. Now, all his troops were on foot, as I mentioned, but Roosevelt rode on horse. Now, he would later say, well, I wanted to fight on foot with the boys, but I need to be able to give orders. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like it. Yep. He would tell his men, now boys, don't leave me alone in the charge. <laughs> and he would also, he waved his, soul, his pistol at nearby black soldiers, saying he would shoot them if they ran away. And his troops then chanted jokingly, oh, he always does, he always does. <laughs> and the charge itself was a series of attacks by the Rough Riders and other groups. And within 20 minutes, his Rough Riders took Kettle Hill, which was part of the heights. The rest of San Juan was taken within the following hours. Roosevelt would later write, The charge itself was great fun. Oh, but we had a bully fight. Wow. <laughs> I love how he describes it just like, oh, it was just a regular yep, old good just, old time. Just, just like a schoolhouse brawl. Yep. He got recommended for the Congressional Medal of Honor, but the request was denied due to political reasons. Because, you know, he was, he, was, he was a Republican involved with the administration, so, you know. Yeah. Now, in reality, his Rough Riders campaigned for one week with only one day of hard fighting. As mentioned previously, the Rough Riders were joined by the 10th Negro Cavalry. The 10th never got the glory, but one of their commanders, Captain Black Jack Pershing, would get the Silver Star. I've heard of him somewhere. Yes, remember that name, because he's actually the commander of the U.S. forces in World War I. Oh, that's where I've heard so, of that. So, yeah, from. we're going to hear a little bit more about him later. Now, the Rough Riders suffered heavy casualties, but came back as heroes. Now, Roosevelt loved it. And he would write, I would rather have led that charge and earned my colonelcy than serve three terms in the U.S. Senate. It makes me feel as though I can now leave something to my children, which will serve in this apology for my having existed. <laughs> oh, man, what? That, that, that took a turn at the end. Yeah, it just took a turn at the end. I wonder if he was, like, being serious or if he was just kind of joking. Yeah, like, that so- it, sounds like, it sounds like a joke. Yeah, yeah. Now, after the war, New York Republicans saw him as just the man they wanted for governor. <laughs> So he would end up running against a guy named Judge Augustus Van Wick, and that was Tammany's Hall main man. And if you don't remember, Tammany Hall is the Democratic political machine that okay. sort of run, ran New York, and actually Grover Cleveland went toe-to-toe with him for a while. Now, Roosevelt would win only by a few thousand votes, largely because of the work of the Republican Party boss, Thomas C. Platt. So we got 
machine versus machine. However, Roosevelt was not going to be held to Platt. He was his own man. He refused to appoint party regulars as a state insurance commissioner or public works commissioner. And he would support a bill to tax value and assets of public services, stuff like gas, water, electric, and streetcars, okay. which enraged Platt because these businesses expected to get, like, basically favors because they were pumping money into Platt's political machine. Sounds about right for the time. Yeah, and they could tell that their money wasn't, you know, affecting Teddy at all. So Platt wanted to get rid of Roosevelt, so he came up with a devilish scheme. He met with a man named Mark Hanna, the top Republican boss in the U.S. I was about to say, was he friends with, uh, what's the previous president? McKinley? McKinley. I, I believe, think, I think, yeah, yeah. I think they were really good friends. Yeah, he had managed McKinley's presidential campaigns. So they came up with an ingenious scheme to kick Roosevelt upstairs. They were saying, well, the current VP, Garrett Hobart, died in office, so why don't we kick Roosevelt out of the governorship and make him VP? Just get him out of the way. Because VPs can't do anything, right? Exactly, never. Now, this idea, this idea would keep Roosevelt from running for governor again. And Roosevelt agreed, since he knew the bosses had rigged the convention to ensure he would get nominated. And, you know, Roosevelt's now we're one to turn down, you know, appointment like that. True. Any reason, he's like, well, I'll get to run for president in 1904 anyway. So, he's nominated, and the Miller Center describes it perfectly. And during the election of 1900, which McKinley-Roosevelt, he campaigned furiously for McKinley. He would travel more than 21,000 miles Whoa. on a campaign train. That's crazy. Making hundreds of speeches. More than 3 million people saw him speak. Wow. So we're starting to see a shift. Like, it used to be presidents never really made speeches or did stuff like that, but this yeah, is changing. And, 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 like, a bunch of them in the early 1800s were like, yeah, like, I... Especially with re-elections, they were like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I should uh, talk too much, you know? Yeah, it was almost like an honor yeah, thing. Yeah, it was like a modesty thing. Yeah, you stand for the office. You don't run for office. And Teddy was like, screw that. Yep. Now, one journalist named Mr. Dooley said, and this guy liked to use, like, a fake Irish accent. He said, "'Tis Titty alone that's running." And he ain't a running, he's a gallopin'. <laughs> That's a great quote. Yeah. McKinley crushed William Jennings Bryan, beating him 7.2 million to 6.3 million in 292 electoral votes to 155, in a wider margin than he had won in 1896. Wow. Now, Roosevelt really wanted to counter Bryan's barnstorming type of campaign, and he would argue against Bryan's radicalism. Because he mentioned, well, Brian opposed the annexation of the Philippines. And Roosevelt said, what the Filipinos need is stability, and the Americans deserved a proud place in the world. Now, of course, McKinley got shot, and Roosevelt, who Boss Hannah called, and I quote, that damned cowboy, oh, became yeah. America's 26th president at the age of 42. 42. Yep, and that that's all I had for his early political career, but man, what a... That that is a pretty impressive intro. I have to I, say. I know, right? Like he he really seemed to like stand up for his both like personal morals and like political morals, like right up until he was even given the presidency. Yeah, like you. I, I don't get the sense, and it could be I just don't have more information. I don't get the sense he used a lot of like underhanded tactics. No, no, and a lot of the presidents before them absolutely did. I mean, they oh, were yeah. political machine men. Oh yeah, like. It, it felt like just five or six Republicans before him that were president, like, had some run-in with the political machine. Yeah, and it's interesting how he was, like, elected by the political machine, but he wasn't held accountable to them, mm -hmm. which I find interesting. Yeah, and, like, they kind of acknowledge the fact, like, yeah, we can't control this guy, but, like, 
I felt like at that time specifically they feared the Democrats even more than they yeah. feared Teddy. That they were like, okay, I guess we'll pick the less of two evils to like put our support behind. Yeah, so it's it's very interesting that at this point, I don't know where I would rank him. I mean, we haven't seen his presidency yeah, yet, yeah. so we can't say, but it's looking pretty good. Where okay, if we're if we're just ranking presidents based off of their personality slash character, Ooh, I like that. Where are you putting it? Where are you putting it? Okay, so because for me personally, John Quincy Adams is number one. Yeah, I'd say like JQA and Benjamin Harrison, and Abraham Lincoln are one, two, and three. Yeah, and then I'd probably put like. I'd I, I, put Teddy, like, in four or five. Yeah, I think I'd put Teddy and Washington in a similar tier. Yeah, because they both have that strong sense of morality and that strong yeah. sense of not being beholden yeah. to the powers of the... Like, if if uh, if George Washington was America's, like, Captain America, then, like, Teddy was Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, do you think Teddy, like... I hate to use this word because I feel like Mount Rushmore probably has a really weird history. Do you think he deserves the spot in Mount Rushmore as the fourth member? Ooh, that's... I almost want to say, like, ask me again at the end of next week's episode. Yes. Because, like, yeah. because, like, at this point, I don't know. Because, mm-hmm. like, um, my my thing, if, if, if we're arguing from the point, like, Mount Rushmore still exists and, like, we didn't just tear it down and give it back to the Native Americans. Yeah. And yeah. apologize profusely. Yeah. Um, then, I mean, he certainly deserves it more than Thomas Jefferson does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, like, and then, of course, you have Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, who I think he's at a similar tier to, mm-hmm. at least so far. Yeah. So, I mean, judging off of those metrics, yeah, I think he, he belongs there. So, I, I had sort of an interesting observation. So, I noticed this with McKinley. I noticed this even more, even just talking about him before his presidency. We have entered the modern stage of presidents and politics at this point. Because not only are we seeing things like they're directing wars, they're directing stuff overseas... Now we see where they're really campaigning in a big way. Yeah. Like, this is this is very, very different than the 1800s. Even just, like, in Grover Cleveland's day. It's something something has changed with mm-hmm. these presidents. So, for, uh, for, for the final caucus today... Yes. So we still have to have a final caucus, I, even though we're not ranking them yet. I finished my research, and I was like, I have no idea where to go with the final caucus today. Okay. So I, I, I figured I was just going to sit on it until we talked through today's episode and see what inspiration came to me. So this is completely, like, by the seat of my pants, and it's something I just thought of. This is okay. a little bit more of a... This is a bit of a lighter final caucus than we usually okay. have, been, have been having. Yeah, because, um, I mean, last week was about assassination and religion <laughs> yeah, and politics. and, like, is it justified ever? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, okay. We have Teddy Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. We have Andrew Jackson. Yes. They were both, like, these larger-than-life, like, super gregarious presidents that, like, did pretty much whatever they wanted. Yes. Um... Two, two questions. Number one, has any president that we've had since Roosevelt compared to either him or Jackson in terms of, like, the level of both things they can get away with, things they can just say, things, the, the fact that they're actually, like, aggressive with their policies and, like, carrying it out? Mm. And the second question is, will we ever see someone like that in the modern political era again? Ooh, and I okay. think that depending on which side of the political spectrum you fall on, there are plenty of people who argue, yes, we have had personalities that, that strong. Yeah. So if we go through the presidents, like, 
FDR seemed like more of a calming presence, yeah. at least on the presidential yeah. side. And they go through the presidents like Reagan. <sighs> I think I think I think from from a conservative perspective, I think the two names that would come up, depending on who you ask, mm. would be Reagan and Trump. Yeah, I think so. Reagan, I would say, is kind of that way, but Reagan also kind of had a little bit more of a calming attitude to him. Yeah. And, and plus he also had that Hollywood air to him. And, and he was also much older than yes. either Jackson or uh, Roosevelt were when they were in mm-hmm. uh, the presidency. Well, but to be fair to Reagan, he also has the one famous line, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear yeah. down this wall. Yeah. Where, I mean, I, if you think of other presidents who have, like, big lines, like, Bill Clinton's line, the only one I could think about is, I did not yep. have sexual relations with yep. that woman. Yep. And Obama had change, or yes, we can. But yep. that was that, that was during his campaign. That was a slogan. Yeah, that was a slogan. It's, yeah, I can't... Trump certainly... He has, he has, he has won, all right. Yeah, he has. Like, he, he... He was, he's gregarious, yep. he says whatever he thinks, very aggressive campaigner, and, like, we were actually, we, I think we talked about this a little bit last episode, like, and it's funny, we're, we're gonna do so, we've done so much talking about Trump that when we finally get to his episode, <laughs> we should just compile everything we've said. Pretty but, much, yeah, and just cut it up and just put it out. Yeah, but... He, there is a certain amount of likability towards him. Oh yeah, a I certain th- amount. I yeah. think I think certain factors like the fact that like Jackson and Roosevelt both said whatever popped into their heads. It seemed like yeah. Like I think of the three, Roosevelt was probably the most measured mm-hmm. in like what he said. But uh, yeah, like Trump is liked because he says whatever he thinks. Yeah, but I think here's here's the difference between those two and Trump and Reagan. Those two were fighters, and I yeah. mean that in every sense of the word. Like, yes, Trump is Trump and was a fighter, but he felt more like a, a greasy fighter. And, you know and like I mean. it, it, it seemed like to me a lot of what he was fighting for rang a little bit hollow, and yeah. like how he actually conducted himself in his personal life, and like yeah. what he, what his body of work had shown up to that point. Where like Jackson and Roosevelt, like for whatever demons either of them had, like they believed certain things from the moment they were born to the moment they died, and they exactly. fought for those things as hard as they possibly exactly. could. Exactly, and maybe we get to the Reagan, we'll find the same thing. But yeah. I don't, I don't get that same sense from Reagan. I, I don't get that sense. Like, but hey, maybe Reagan will be number one. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> so I don't. Yeah, Reagan and Trump are the closest, but they don't have that sort of fighting spirit that Jackson and Rose. All right, had. I have a special third one, third question that just popped into my mind. Okay. Do you want to go through the second question first? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go, ahead and, okay. go, ahead, go ahead. So, for the second question... For some reason, I thought we already answered it, but we Yeah. Okay. Were we ever see another one yeah, again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, I, I think we will. Now, as to where it comes from, I think we might see something like that coming from the left. That's what that's what I'm wondering. Like, yeah, like Be- my, I'll I'll go ahead and add in my third question yeah, go here. Ahead. That something we can stew on while we talk about this mm. is: Does do modern Democrats lend themselves to that style? Mm, that's a good one. So, like Bernie Sanders is the first one to come to mind because if you look at him, he has certain things he's believed. He's, he's walked the walk. He's walked the walk. He's always believed them, and he always has that fighting spirit, and he's always like gone for it, like, sort of used off-color language, really been, like, strong in what he believes. Yeah. 
I think it's possible that we might see someone who's similar to Bernie Sanders sort of become a rising star within the left. Because Republicans right now, until Trump is removed from the equation or until they get someone even more gregarious and more crazy, quote-unquote... They're kind of at a dead end with Trump right now, at least on the presidential yeah, it, side. It, it seemed like he's kind of maxed out. His potential is like a, a political force, almost. Yeah, he's maxed out his potential as political force, and he's making it hard for the Republicans to sort of get out from under him. Mm-hmm. Now, on the Democrat side, as to your question, I think there are two competing factions right now within the Democratic Party. On the one hand, you sort of have the, what I call the Biden wing. The centrists. Yeah, the centrists. On the other hand, you have the wing of, like, the trio under uh, Ocasio-Cortez and, I can't remember, it's like... Omar? Omar, and there's, there's a third Oh, uh, Bush. Bush, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Those three are really a driving force, and I think you might see, I not nece- maybe not necessarily one of them, but certainly from that group and from that mindset, something that will have that same sort of fighting spirit. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see it. I could see it. And I think that might be a winning combination, because if you take someone who has, like, that fighting spirit, but also you have to give them, like, that same America, almost like they they I, they are America themselves. Yeah, and, like, I think that that's, that's what... They I represent mean, America. That's what appealed so much about Andrew Jackson, was he was a man of the people, he drank with his constituents, yes, and I think that modern like the younger wave of democrats can appeal to that that demographic of people if they strategize around it and don't try to be like oh yeah let's like water down our message or something like that yeah yeah because i mean jackson and roosevelt did not water down their messages no roosevelt was like i'm going after the trusts and jackson was i'm going after the bank (laughs) (laughs) okay i actually thought of a fifth question oh give it to me so if you if if you could put Roosevelt and Jackson in a room, this isn't a fine one. Do you think they would either a be friends or b get along? Oh, I think they would be best friends. I think so too. <laughs> I think so. I think they would swap war stories, yep. even though they might have political disagreements. They both they both also kind of agree on sort of this limiting like the money powers yeah, of the time. Yeah. And like Jackson probably. Uh, uh, Roosevelt probably wouldn't be like, that Jackson is a passionate young man. I like him a lot. Yeah, I like the, his jib. <laughs> so, but that was part one of Theodore Roosevelt. Some already some great content. Oh, some fun, fun-spirited conversations. Can't wait to get to part two, where we're actually going to look at, does his presidency live up to the legend? And he better not disappoint us. He better not. Yep. And then we'll rank him, and we'll see where it goes. And So, thanks for joining us. Once again, I'm Bradley Cooper. And I am Curtis Cooper. Stay ranking. Rank.